Well, welcome back to Crazy Faith Talk. I'm Erica. I'm Steve. I'm Sarah. <laughs> and we are ankle deep in a series we have been in all this season, uh, which for us church learners is the season of Advent, getting ready for the coming of Christ, both manger coming and coming in glory. Uh, but we've been spending our time in these episodes talking about the stories of older brothers and sisters in the faith, saints uh, whose stories are remembered in particular during these days. We talked about St. Nicholas and whether he did or did not cut down a demon-possessed tree while he was also punching heretics and giving to the poor. We talked about St. Lucy last time uh, and about uh, why there's a legend about candles on her head and uh, what she was willing to do for her faith. Today, uh, Sarah, where are we headed? We are going to be looking at uh, Katharina von Bora, who married Martin Luther. So, clearly... The wife of Luther, she is not a recognized Roman Catholic, canonized <laughs> saint. <laughs> so we've now left the territory of people that all, all Christians in all places uh, have some familiarity with or might have familiarity with. She's only in the last 500 years been acknowledged by anybody as someone to remember, and Protestants tend to be familiar with her, if, any, if at all. Yeah, she's really cool, though, so <laughs> we are going to look at her, because, um, yeah, she died... Again, around this time, I think December 20th is her death date or recognized death date. And so that is when she is recognized as a saint, um, especially in like the Lutheran in church. Lutheran <laughs> now, we, yeah. should, we should maybe do a, a reminder or a disclaimer that in our conversations, we've been, uh, while we've told stories about Nicholas and Lucy, who are recognized by, by uh, those traditions that care about uh, you know canonical uh, you know process of making somebody a saint in an official list of saints we've said all along that these are people who like any of us who are followers of Jesus sort of bear that call to be holy in the world and that holiness is comes alongside being stinkers uh, that we are sinners and saints at the same time there's a good Lutheran way of saying it um, mm-hmm. and that because of that we don't mean to be lifting up just these three people as the only people who are examples but these are people whose stories happen to fall on this season and there are things that are worth lifting up about them. So t- tell us about Katerina. So uh, we do know quite a bit about her. Um, I'm going to just refer to her as Katie the rest of the episode because yeah. it's quicker. But um, we do know quite a bit because she, again, lived only 500 years ago. But at the same time, we don't know as much about her as we do her much more famous husband, Martin Luther. Mm-hmm. For example, we can tell you Martin Luther's parents' names, his brothers and sisters, etc. Um, for Katie, we don't know her parents' names. We don't even know for sure where she was born. We only have a guesstimation. Um, we do know that she was sent to a, a convent when she was very young for educational purposes. She was going there for education. And then later transferred to another convent where her aunt was and there she took vows and was going to be a nun. But unfortunately around that time, or fortunately, around that time Martin Luther was beginning his writings. She got her hands on these writings and she and several other sisters in her nunnery um, became big fans. (laughs) And so they started writing to Martin Luther asking for advice or help or anything he could do to get them out of the convent and um, because they realized that hey these vows that we took they probably weren't 
what we should have done. They weren't what God wanted. Um, so we would like to leave. And Martin Luther did, in fact, send help. He sent this guy who was delivering herring. And <laughs> like you do. Like you do. And so she and several other nuns hid in or amongst, there is some differing accounts, in these herring barrels for several days as they, as that wagon traveled to Wittenberg and to Martin Luther. I thought my people had strange stories. <laughs> <laughs> well, like, it, it, for, for, for maybe for a little bit of theological context, too, like, I mean, part of the, 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 the revolution, to be, to be honest about it, that Luther's writings bring was this idea that God was not impressed by vows uh, or special orders by you know that that priests and monks would take, and, and that that's coming from someone who himself had been a monk and had sort of been brought up with this like this is really impresses God if you you know take these vows if you become uh, you know a, a monk and and part of Luther's uh, Reformation discovery was that the scriptures had been saying shouting you can't impress God with stuff that you do there's there's no need to impress God that's the wrong picture of a relationship and when Luther starts to work that out in his writings and his theology early on it became this um, well wait then why are, why are we thinking we're impressing God with vows of poverty and chastity and all that and uh, all the other sort of uh, you know the, the the works of the money that we could give um, for institutional church life, and and so Luther's uh, movement, yeah, Katie and, and her fellow sisters there realized that we're, God isn't any more impressed with us because we're nuns. In fact, that's kind of a foolish attitude that we could uh, impress God by doing this. And then it all of a sudden became we could be living our lives and we could be doing other things. If God doesn't, this doesn't impress God. What would be worth spending our lives on? Mm. So um, they the 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 other. Uh, nuns who leave the convent, what what were they hoping to gain other than the smell of herring in their clothes? So, um, when they arrived in Wittenberg, the hope was that their families would take them back. Um, but none of the families did. And so, the next step was, well, they do need families, so marriage is for everybody. <laughs> and within two years, all of the other nuns, except for Katie, had married. Okay. And it wasn't for lack of suitors, because Katie Luther was, well, before she was Luther, um, was very popular, had lots of suitors, but she proved to be very picky and turned them all down. And so she is quite famous in saying that she would only marry either Martin Luther or her good friend Nicholas von Amstorf. And Nicholas von Amstorf, not interested. And so... Um, the people who were kind of in charge of finding all these nuns' husbands was like Martin Luther. Um, I think it would probably be a really, really good idea if you married for the movement. Like, show what a good Christian Protestant marriage would look like with clergy. Um, as well as uh, she really needs to marry, and she apparently only wants you, so do it. <laughs> right, right, right. So, it, I mean, it, it, sometimes we, we forget these people who are remembered as... Uh, you know, towering theologians or intellects. Sometimes we forget they were human beings and that, like, the regular ordinary stuff of life, like family and relationships, was a part of their story, too. So even though, I mean, and Katie has some cool things to say about her faith as well, too, before all is said and done, but the, the, they weren't just 
you know, walking intellects. They weren't just walking brains, uh, and and that they their their life stories include raising families and having kids and tending to a business and a household, um, and that 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 was a, as much a part of their life and informed their their faith and how they saw their relationship with God too, right? So mm-hmm. like when Luther writes his catechism, uh, like and when Luther at the end of his life looks back at like the thing, the writings he said were worth that didn't need to be burned. These are the ones I would hold on to. His small catechism is one of them, and when he's writing that catechism, it's, it's Martin and Katie's little boy Hans, who's five years old, walking around the house doing like five-year-olds do, going, what is this? What is this? What is this? That that becomes the driving question that he builds his whole catechism around. What is this? What is this? What is it? Or as some Lutherans grew up, what does this mean? But the, the question is really a five-year-old kid's question. What is this? What is this? Mm. What is this? And that's only possible if the vast, towering intellect who's writing this also has a kid at home and a family at home that helps him see that that perspective as that we're like kids uh, before uh, God, like a parent, rather than subjects in front of a king. Yeah, initially Martin Luther did not want to get married. Mm -hmm. He had a bounty on his head, and he thought it would be much too dangerous to be the wife of Martin Luther. And I don't even think he was thinking that, like, children would happen, but, like, you know, Mm -hmm. just for a wife, it would be too dangerous. Um, But eventually he does come around, and he speaks highly of katie luther in all of his writings he calls her really affectionate weird names um, <laughs> probably feel very romantic in german <laughs> right right um right right like um i think at one point he refers to her as the lady of the pigs because they had such a good pig crop if you will <laughs> like they had a big litter of pigs and she like did really well with selling them or something so he calls her the lady of the pigs like really weird names but you can see in his writings as their marriage continues um that his views and opinions of women change Mm. that he becomes much more confident in their abilities as um people of faith and not just as being subservient to their husbands i mean there's always still a little bit of that but you can kind of see him going oh i now can relate to women and i couldn't before because i was a monk and i lived only amongst men and um that was in large part because of katie and their daughter magdalena um who he also thought was just very bright um she she was the second or third i think she had a older sister who died in infancy but he um often compared magdalena's education and her ability to grasp greek and how it surpassed her older brother's hans ability to surpass greek and wasn't it a shame that she was a girl and couldn't continue her education um and when she died as a teenager um martin luther took that very very hard yeah but and I think that's such an important piece how the experience of being around women and discovering oh they have things to say they have this intelligence that uh, obviously had been cloistered literally cloistered away from as a monk like how that changed his theology and it changed his sense of um, oh my goodness they have something to contribute and um, certainly um, there's less legend about Katie on this fact that like compared to like Lucy or Nicholas we've talked about before um, that she like ran the household not like as like the cooking and clean but like she ran the business I mean she was the mm-hmm. she was the, the smart business minded pragmatic one and that Luther who would often be traveling to other congregations that were part of this fledgling movement or banging his shoe on tables when he was fighting with other reformers or whatever I mean he was often away or writing or thinking like that the person who actually managed things and managed their business and manage their life and all that 
Katie was smart and did all that. She had this vast ability. And it was a huge undertaking because it wasn't just like a house as in like, oh, this is the house that we live in that has a kitchen, a living room, and three bedrooms. It was a large holding. Like they had a farm outside of town that had crops and pigs and cows and all manners of animals. Um, She ran a brewery out of her house where she sold beer. She went at times of great sickness. She would run a hospital out of their house. Mm -hmm. They all always had several students boarding with them um as well as visitors who were coming to just talk to martin luther like it was a lot of work it wasn't just oh yes i keep this house clean and i cook for my family it's like no like i'm running a farm and i'm getting up at 3 a.m every day and i'm selling things and making beer and running a hospital like she was on it yeah well and that sense too that that you get from the the historical records of uh, Martin and Katie, and, and surely there were other people in this time who had the sense of civic responsibility, but certainly Martin and Katie's life, there is this sense of even though their lives had been in danger, and it was never completely safe to be Martin Luther in Martin Luther's lifetime, it was never completely safe to be Katie Luther in that time, but they had this sense of they had relative comfort and they were called to use that for the sake of, yeah, taking in the sick, or uh, the, the random relative who needs a place to stay for a while, or travelers who would come to their home, that there was this sense of hospitality and of care for those in their community and strangers as well, and that this, this wasn't negotiable, this wasn't like, a, well, we've already done our thing, we sort of started re- the Reformation, isn't that enough, but like, no, that's where we start. And for people whose movement, I mean, for, for the Lutheran movement, which that whose cornerstone is you can't do anything to earn God's love, that never became for Martin or Katie a sense of, well, I guess we won't do anything because we can't, or, you know, we, we don't have to do anything nice for anybody because it doesn't impress God. They always had the sense of grace is free. We're beloved by God as free gifts. And in the very next breath, we're called to care for the the neighbor around us. These are not separate ideas, but two sides of the same coin. And while Luther may be famous for writing that down in words, Katie is certainly at the core of them living that out. Um, So that it it would have been awfully shallow if Luther had just said the words that he's famous for in the freedom of a Christian about we're, we're called to care for our neighbor, we're free to care for our neighbor because we're free from impressing God. Um if he didn't actually live it out. And Katie helps make it happen that they can do that. How different do you all think, because, you know, I, I'm Methodist, so Luthers are not my people. Yeah. <laughs> they're my people. You're a different branch <laughs> of the same family tree. Yes. Um, so i got a different branch. I don't know the story of Katie and Martin as well as, as you all do, but how different do you think um, the movement would have been without Katie? That's a great question. That's a really good question. I mean, besides just the evolution of Martin Luther's writings, I think it helped kind of um, cement uh, Lutheran clergy, right? Because, of course, there were pastors in the movement who had already married. Mm -hmm. But by Martin Luther marrying, it was kind of like, yes, our pastors can, in fact, have a family. And that it's not going to hurt his ministry, because at that time, yeah. his ministry. But, in fact, it will improve it. Because, like you had st- said earlier, Steve, about um, Martin Luther's small catechism, was written in formatted the way it is because of his son, Hans. Mm-hmm. And, of course, he wouldn't have had a son if he hadn't been married. Well, probably, hopefully, but... <laughs> Right, that that sense of the there's a there's a an earthiness. I think there's already an earthiness in Luther's theology to begin with, mm. but I think it becomes even more earthy and grounded in 
the the holy and the ordinary because so much of his life then is also grounded in the regular ordinary life of the the blessing of this day and you know the it, like even when you get into the the meat of the catechism when he talks about like being thankful to God for daily bread Luther's like it's not just bread it turns out we should be thankful for shoes and crops and our you know uh, animals like he's got this like here's a farmer he's a guy on a farm who's looking out his window going God give me all this uh, this is all blessing from God and this was given to me even though I haven't earned it or deserved it and I think so much of that is possible because he's living out his life not cloistered somewhere uh, you know behind stone arch or something like that, but because he's living life and discovering God in the common and the ordinary. Because as I hear you guys talking about Katie, I just I hear that groundedness mm-hmm. where she brings him down, so he's not this guy who's so heavenly minded he's no earthly good. Yeah, and I I think like that may have been in Luther's DNA to begin with, but I think like uh, Katie brings that out in him or allows it to flourish in a way that otherwise he could have become. Um, yeah, just like this, a, a new scholastic sort of, you know, mm-hmm. disappearing with his head in a cloud somewhere. Sometimes I, I, I wonder, like, what the conversations would have been like between, like, a Luther and other reformers, like I mean, Wesley's or, or John Calvin. And personality-wise, I mean, Luther just seems like this, you know, so down-to-earth, so, like, sometimes, you know, mm-hmm. raucous kind of a guy. Uh, and John Calvin, no offense to any Calvinist who may be listening, just doesn't seem like he's much fun. <laughs> um, well, neither uh, was Wesley. Right, right, right. right. <laughs> I mean, like, Talking about John. Yeah. Least. But, like, I think part of what made Luther have a sense of the joy and the, the that... This life wasn't just, like, the bad part until you get get to heaven. I think at the core of Lutheran theology, and I really think at the heart of good Christian theology, is that this life isn't a mistake, and that we always have to keep fighting the, the old Gnostic battle. That it's not like this life, this physical life, is a mistake. Wait till you get to heaven when it's so good, when we're all floating heads on clouds or something. But that Luther has this sense of the, the physicality, the earthiness of life is a, is a beautiful thing, and it's, it's a blessed thing to be celebrated and to appreciate, as well as say there's hope beyond this life as well. And like, Luther's life is lived in the tension between the, the terribleness of what can happen in this physical world when knowing that he lost kids in infancy and in young childhood to sickness and disease. They lived in uh, a Europe that was coming out of the Middle Ages and the, where the plague was still a thing, you know. Um, and yet that he also has the sense of the beauty of ordinary life. Because I, so I see, you know, Luther and Katie and you all talking about their interaction, I think of, of Wesley, and, you know, he was never married. Mm-hmm. He, Wesley, John Wesley, at least, and women didn't get along well. <laughs> and so I'm just, and that's for another day. We can have a whole conversation about that. Um, but I'm, I'm just curious what, you know, my movement would have looked like yeah. had Wesley had his own Katie. Yeah. You know, to yeah. kind of bring him out of the cloud sometimes. Because, yeah. you know, reformers tend to... You know, be stuck up in their heads a little bit yeah, too much. Yeah. Um, when you don't have somebody to bring you down and keep you grounded. Yeah. Well, in some ways, this is, this is again. I don't mean to be taking pot shots at John Calvin, um, but Luther never wrote a single like multi-volume systematic theology. Whereas mm-hmm. Calvin is famous for his Institutes on the Christian yeah. Religion, you know. And I think a lot about. Um, that um, movie from the 90s, Mr. Holland's Opus, uh, where Richard Dreyfuss is that music teacher, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and in the movie, uh, he spends his whole career thinking he's really going to be this famous composer or famous music writer, uh, and he ends up teaching a high school band and music, and the, the you know, movie follows by the end of his life, and he's never gotten around to writing his big symphony or whatever, and the students come back and say, we were your opus, we were, you know, we mm-hmm. changed our lives, and they play some song he wrote. But, like, I think there's something really important about, in the end, is it more important to have written a, a, a set of words on paper? 
paper as this is the finished product, here I got it all perfect, now nobody touch it because it's the final perfect version of my theology, or is it better to have left marks on people's lives? And I think... Uh, as, as much as there are times when I wish I could have a conversation with Martin Luther and say, like, I got this question. If you'd written a systematic theology, I could have your answer, how you hold these two different ideas together. And he doesn't give me one. He's got sporadic writings, this issue over here and that issue over there. He doesn't have to put them all together the way Calvin does. But Luther's left marks on people's lives in ways that I think are, are made possible because the way his life was lived at, it meant that sometimes he had to stop writing because he had to go, you know, take care of one of the kids. Or sometimes he had to stop writing because... He was grieving over the loss of one of his kids, and sometimes he had to stop writing because he had to marry a former nun. <laughs> um, but like the, the, his life, he, he had the sense of as important as the work was, that it was meaningless if it also wasn't incarnated, brought into life in daily life. Mm-hmm. Um, and as important as he had a sense of the, the words he said and the ideas he was trying to, to, to call from the scriptures were important, that it couldn't be separated from living this life. Uh, that seems an important thing for us, too, in the moments when we're tempted, especially us as preachers who, tend, who are tempted to think like, uh, what the people in my congregation need to hear is I need to give the definitive sermon on this, and ah, these words will make it, ah, that will be perfect. And I think instead we're called to be people who live among each other and who leave marks on people's lives more episodically. But there's something kind of humbling about that instead of being the one who's known for that important masterpiece. Instead, it, it, I, we, we lived with other people and left marks on their lives that way. Um, one other uh, tidbit that, that I want to bring to the table, um, the only quote I know of, of Katie Luther's, I think is a, is a doozy and it's a good one, um, but supposedly uh, her last words are, and Luther's are good for having good last words, because Martin Luther's last words are, um, uh, we are beggars, this is true. That's a good one. Uh, but Katie's last words supposedly are something like, I shall stick to Christ like a burr sticks to fabric. And I love that image of like, um, that in the end it's about being held. It's about being held by Christ. And uh, while that fits with, in so many ways, Luther's theology, it, it's also her own voice, too. And it's also this sense of, like, um, she gets it. That whether whether she already got that apart from having ever heard a, a Martin Luther sermon say it to her, those are her own words and her own sense of appropriating the same good news that Luther would have put into different words. There's something really cool about that, about hearing her, like, get this idea about it. it's all about being held by grace, held by Christ, and not about how tightly I'm holding on to him, but about how, how, how he grips onto us. Um, but that it's in her own idiom, it's in her own word. I, that, that's cool. And there aren't a lot of Katie quotes, because yeah. she didn't write. She was too busy running the household yeah. and her children and Martin. So there's, there's lots of ledgers on financial records and things like that. She yeah. was in charge of, but they didn't say, Katie, write us a treatise. It was, right. we need to make some beer. Mo- most places where we get possible quotes from yeah. Katie is from Table Talk. Yeah. Uh, Luther's Table Talk, which I haven't read in forever. But um, there are a few points where, you know, Martin Luther is sitting at the table with all of his students and they're like, copying this down and this is how we have the table talks and um martin will address katie to ask her opinion um so this is probably a little bit further on in their marriage because at this point he he likes her a little bit loves her maybe (laughs) um but that he asks her opinion on these theological matters and you know she's busy at the stove and sometimes she answers and sometimes i think she tells him to stop bothering her she's cooking (laughs) breakfast but um 
Yeah, we don't get a lot of Katie quotes because of that. Yeah, yeah. But I think I think it's cool that um, there is that sense of theology being done in casual conversation, too. You know, uh, uh, Again, the, the, the temptation, I think, for, for folks in our line of work as pastors is uh, that, that theology is done either in big tomes that we had to read in seminary or books you recommend other people read or in sermons and that these are supposed to be, ah, we will pour this good content we have into people's empty minds like they're you know, empty vessels. And instead, the model of that sort of table talk conversation, Martin and Katie and other students who happen to be around and whatever stranger happen to be boarding at their house, like they're having conversation and thinking things out and living it out there. That has a totally different feel than memorize this book and if you get it right, then you believe correctly enough and then you go mm. to heaven. Um, but the sense of something that's lived out of and that we, we are able to do back and forth and push, in some ways it almost feels rabbinic. It almost feels like, you know, a rabbi and students around the table uh, in a way that I wish would have been held on to uh, and that maybe is worth recovering too. And maybe when we look at where does where does holy conversation happen anymore? Um, maybe we as folks who are leaders in our own communities and congregations should be looking less for, how can we create another moment for me to preach a sermon at people? And instead, like, where are there moments we can be fostering conversation where it's people around a table and it's okay for you to say something that is out there and for other people to go, well, wait, wait well, why do you think that? Or where does that come from? Instead of the sort of monodirectional, I, the person who's the guardian of orthodoxy, will tell you all the correct answers, memorize these, and then you will know you don't go to hell. I mean, like, I think mm. that we're still kind of dealing with that kind of in the back of our heads of that's the job of the preacher tell us the stuff I'm supposed to believe so I can get my theology test right when I get to heaven. And that, that's not the, the table talk, Burton and Katie kind of kind of image. Yeah. Well, um, other thoughts, other things that uh, uh, you want to make sure we know about Katarina von Boral Luther? I think my last bit is a testament to how high of regard Martin Luther had for Katie. And that is when Martin Luther died, he willed his entire estate to Katie instead of to their oldest son, Hans, which was more typical. Mm -hmm. Like, um, women could inherit in this time and in this country, but it was pretty rare. But he willed his entire estate, everything he had, to Katie. That's cool. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I mean, they had... previously discussed like what they were supposed to do with with it like she was to sell the black cloister um and use that profit to like buy a smaller house that would be easier to maintain um but yeah he willed everything to her yeah yeah so a good picture maybe of like what what partnership and ministry can look like Mm -hmm. um and of the importance of those kind of relationships um in, in not just the lives of pastors or 15th, 16th century reformers, but of, of the people of God, that we aren't in this alone, but that we're, we're brought into relationship with other people. Sometimes it's in friendship, sometimes it's in family, sometimes it's with kids, sometimes it's with that, that, that whole community we call church, but that, that's an important piece of, of the witness, too. So, we hope you've enjoyed the conversation and maybe learned a little bit more about Katie Luther and what things she has to say to us. I uh, hope you can join us for uh, future adventures and conversation next time. See you guys. Bye.